Welcome to the Huntley Baptist Church Podcast. We hope that this message can be an encouragement to you today. Please feel free to contact us at huntleybaptist@extra.co.nz at or visit us at huntleybaptist.com. The, the song that we just heard, Murray told me a bit about the story of it. And this is what he said, that Hillsong, which is a very sort of famous song factory, isn't it? Somebody said to them, you need to make a song that says about what you believe. Most of your songs are quite subjective. Why don't you make a song that says what you believe? And so they said, all right, we will. And they wrote the song we just heard, which is closely based, well, considerably based on something called the Apostles' Creed. And the Apostles' Creed is a statement of belief, not actually really written by the Apostles, I believe. There's not, not much evidence for that. But quite early on in the piece where people say, look, this is like a statement of the things we believe. And that's used for various purposes. One of them is to say who we'll play with and who we won't. Uh, that, that monitor isn't showing anything. That's... Oh, that was part of the, the sign language. Also. Okay, so I'll probably get a sore neck turning around to see what's up there. I say, so, so why is it important? Does it matter what we believe? Is it important what we believe? Is it? So why? Why? Is there a reason? Why is it important? Who cares? What does it matter? Did you all hear that all right? We need to be able to tell people in a very firm way. But I think it goes further than that, doesn't it? Because what we believe will determine how we live and what we do, right? Now, consider, for instance, Adolf Hitler. Hitler said he was a Christian, but he wasn't really. He was an evolutionist. He believed that we all came to be by accident, not by the purposes of God, and that evolution favoured the strong, it didn't favour the weak, and that the people, were, the human race was getting better and better. And so what Hitler did was he decided to help it along, help evolution. So most people here will know that he killed 12 million people who he thought were inferior. He wanted to get them out of the evolutionary equation. Jews, gypsies, homosexuals, people he thought were mentally deficient or invalids. He killed them to get them out of it. But lots of you might not know that he also had baby factories where he farmed humans to build his master race, where fine, strong, intelligent young German women were put in this kind of a luxury farm and they were used to bring babies to make the master race. So what Hitler did absolutely came from what he believed. He was consistent in his beliefs and his actions. Got that? But does everyone live in a way that matches what they believe? Do they? And they don't, right? I stole my own thunder. Whoops, let's see if we can get that to work. Oh, now it's not going. What have I done there, Andy? Um, Luca? <laughs> it would work when I didn't want it to work. All right, I might need to just ask those slides to be advanced. Can they go? We've got a freeze on, have we? <laughs> Now the monitor's gone out. So I was going to put a picture up and ask you if you know who it is. What's happened? It's broken. Can you fix it? <laughs> He's, oh, Luca, you're just terrific. Yeah, Luca. Oh, there it is. All right. Do you know who this guy is? Oh, well done. It is Al Gore. Now, he used to be the vice president of the USA, but in more recent years, he's become more famous as an environmental activist. All right. Now, what Al Gore says in a nutshell is that if we go, if we go on using energy at the rate we are, we're going to wreck the planet. The whole thing will fall to bits. 
Now, Al Gore has a number of big houses, and one of his houses in Tennessee, somebody's worked out that the power bill for that house alone would be enough to power 31 average American homes. When Al Gore travels, he does it in such a way that people tease him about it. Now, he jets around in jet aircraft a lot. And uh, you can see that the, the cartoonist, can you read that? He says, I'm here to talk about global warming and reducing energy usage as he walks from his private jet to his big limousine. Now, in his defence, Al Gore says, I don't actually own a private jet, I just charter them when I need them, all right? But sometimes when people's actions don't seem to fit what they say, it's very easy to mock them like this cartoonist did and say, I read an article that said Al Gore does not believe in global warming because if he did, he wouldn't do that. You see? Do you get that? Does that make sense? Let's have a look at someone else we know. This is our lovely Jacinda Ardern, enjoying being a mother with her beautiful baby, Neve. Now, before Jacinda came into power, she said, I want to have a New Zealand that's compassionate and kind. I want well-being to be as important as the economy. And when she had a baby and became a mother herself, we thought it would touch her heart and that she would change her mind about another promise she made. You see, because one of the promises to make New Zealand a better place and increase our well-being is that it has to be easier to kill babies we don't want. Because obviously, if children come along and they're awkward or we don't want them, that's going to spoil our well-being. So Jacinda, the young mother Jacinda, who knows what it's like to carry a baby in herself and see this beautiful baby come to birth, has, has, is right now trying to push through a law that says babies will not have any legal protection in the womb. They have very little protection now, but this law will absolutely open it up so you, you can kill your baby for any reason or no reason, and you don't need to ask anybody. This is going through right now. You have less than a month to say something about that. I'm going to tell you that Jacinda, although she thinks that's helping people's well-being, it's actually not because those little babies are people. Now, a lot of people tell me that they believe in God, like that's a good thing. Is it a good thing to believe in God? Well, I suppose it is. But actually, the Bible says this. It says, you believe that God is one. Good for you. Even the demons believe that, and they shudder. You see, believing in God is something that the devil himself does. If you ask the demons, do you believe in God? They go, yes, we do. Because they can't deny it. They know about God, all right? So, so the, the demons almost could have sung the song. They know about God the Father. They know about God the Son. They know about the Holy Spirit. They're fighting them. In our heart, we know it's important to match what we say to what we do. And there's actually a word for it. That's the word. What is the word? Okay. That means that what we say and what we do and what we do at home and what we do at church and what we do at work, everything matches in. If you cut yourself in different places, you find the same thoughts going through. Who you are at home is the same as you are when the minister comes to visit, all right? That's called integrity. We have all sorts of sayings around us, don't we? I'm going to put a few up, see if you can actually read them and finish them. What's that? Easier said than done. All right. That's right. Yep. <laughs> you don't know that last one, do you? When all's said and done, more is said than done. <laughs> do you like that? 
Now, the Bible has some sayings about it too. Did you know that? The Bible talks about the same thing, how we need to stack up what we say with what we do. Try this one. Oops. Oh, there we are. That's the last one. Uh, okay. There we go. What's that? Okay. The most Bibles, most modern translations actually say it like this. Faith without works is useless or faith without works is dead. And that's from that reference. Now, do you know the second one? That's straight from the Bible too. Mm, that's right, Brian. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. You're exactly right. And Jesus talked to some people who were the most smart-looking, religiously knowledgeable people of his day. They were called the Pharisees, and this is what he said to them. He said, what sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law, and you Pharisees, hypocrites, that means actors. For you are like whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, but filled on the inside with dead people's bones and all sorts of impurity. Woo, that's harsh, isn't it? The outside of you looks great, but inside, blah. And Jesus actually said that. He probably was looking at those very tombs because they are the tombs of Haggai and Zechariah, which are right by the Temple Mount of Jerusalem. So that's why I put that up there. Those are the tombs he might have been pointing to. This is a problem for Christians too. Sometimes what we say and what we do don't stack up. The teacher Bill Gothard spoke of two families. He said a teenager comes to his dad. He said, Dad, aren't we Christians? Yes, son, we're Christians. We believe in Jesus? Yes, we do. And the family across the road, they're not Christians, are they? No, no, they're not. Well, then how come in our place we're always arguing and fighting and we don't get on and we're always broke and nothing seems to work out very well, but over there they all seem to get along all right and they seem to manage financially? How come? Bill Gothard said, here's the answer. Because in our family we accepted Jesus as our saviour, but we didn't actually look into this wonderful book called the Bible that tells us how we need to order our lives. Across the road, they don't even believe in Jesus, but somehow, accidentally, they've managed to find out a few scriptural truths that work. That's why sometimes people don't believe in God, but they work, their life works out pretty well, because they're actually following those things like honour your father and mother, tell the truth, and so on, that are in the Bible. Now, It's hard sometimes to put the things we know into practice. Years ago once, I was reading my way through a Bible called the Living Bible. Have you ever read that one? And it's a paraphrase, and it wasn't a bad idea to do once. And sometimes I'd be reading through this, and I'd find a scripture that I knew, and I'd see something new in it. Now, I read this, this, uh, <laughs> this scripture, which I knew is this, now you then know these things, blessed are you if you do them. And in the Living Bible it said this, you know these things, now do them, for this is the path of blessing. It was in the morning. I thought, you know these things, now do them. Gee, that's good, I thought. So I went up to school, this is probably Iris when you were there, up to Waikato High School and I wrote across the top of the board, I wrote this, you know these things, now do them, across the top of the blackboard. And when the kids came in, they go, what's that? I said, well, so often you kids know something, but you don't do it. From now on, that's the rule of our school. You know these things, now do them. And it became a sort of a buzzword around the place. It was quite funny because you'd go to a kid and you say, hang on a minute, what's this about full stops, remember? And he said, oh, yeah, you meant to put them at the end of a sentence. And I'd say, you know these things. And the class would chorus, now do them. It was good. That was my scripture memory class. So, but it's true, eh? 
Now, why? Why is it important for us to do the things we know? I'm going to give you today two reasons. Sorry if I keep looking around. That's because that monitor's not working. But uh, here's the reason one. It's so we have a good life. All right? God wants us to have a good life. Do you believe that? I'm going to tell you a story that happened long ago, not far from here at all. In fact, very, very close. And that is Potatau Te Ferofero, the first Māori king. This story takes place within 15 kilometres of where we are today. I'm going to read it to you. In the year 1858, a large gathering assembled at Ngaroahia for the religious ceremony of proclaiming Potatau as king. The rite was performed by Wiramu Tamihana Tarapipi. Now, he is often acknowledged as perhaps the greatest man of God this country has ever known. Present at the ceremony was the high chief of the two Whareitoa tribe, Tehiruhu, who during the course of his oration said, Potato, today I anoint you king for the Māori people. You and Queen Victoria are today united. Let the religion of Jesus be your mantle to protect you, and may the laws of the land be the mat on which to place your feet forever. That's translated into English. Is that good? This is the first Māori king. That's, that's what it's built on. To this, Potatau gave a reply, and this is what he said. Kotahi anō te kahao o te ngira, e kuhuna ai te miro mā, te miro whero, me te miro pango. A muri ia au, ki a mau ki te ture, ki te whakapono, ki te aroha. He aha te aha, he aha te aha. Would you like that translated? Now, the first part of that, what he said, is very easy to translate. It's this. There is but one eye of the needle through which the white, red, and black threads must pass. But he was not really talking about needles and thread. He was using a metaphor to talk about people. And this is what he said. In the tapestry, which is the future of our nation, now, there are people of different colors and different backgrounds. What he said is, we are all important to be woven into that tapestry. The Maori people, the European people, the Chinese people, the Koreans, the Africans, the English people, all of them are important, and like it or not, we're all in the same tapestry. Nowadays, sometimes under the name of perhaps Tinoranga Tiratanga, we hear things which would separate us out. Oh, you can do this, and this race does that, and we'll put the immigrants over here, and the Tauiwi over here. But actually... Potato himself would say, no, we're all in the same boat and we're all in the same picture. Let's embrace it. Now, looking around this room, he'd be pleased. Sorry, forgot the Samoans, Andrew, them too. All right, but looking around this room, Potato would be pleased to see us all come together as brothers and sisters, even though we come from all over the place, including me. Now, what about the second part of what he said? That's a little harder to translate, and I've seen it translated different ways, and actually I tinkered with this one to get me more happy about it. But it says, after me, or perhaps after I'm gone, would be another translation, hold fast to the law, hold fast to faith, and hold fast to love. Of course, he didn't mean Hollywood love. He meant the real love that sacrificially cares for people and looks after them and, makes, and puts other people's interests beyond your own. Why was it so important to him? Because he was a warrior. He'd lived through the time when might was right, when people ate each other, and when the strongest survived. And that's why he loved the law, because the law is a much better way of sorting out our differences than killing each other. 
That's why he loved faith, because faith in the Lord Jesus Christ had totally changed his life and his society. And that's why he loved love, because he knew that love, God's way, is the way to having a good life. So King Pototo wanted us to have a good life. What's come of that? We're, we live right in the Kingitanga now. Whenever you go to a local marae, the Kingitanga is the force that's sort of over it. That's the kaupapa of our whole town, right? Now, this is what happens. Sometimes we see people who love Jesus with all their heart, and everything that they do is done with grace and with love. And Potato would say, these are the people who've listened to what I said. But other times, I can go to places where people wouldn't even think of eating something without thanking God for it. And they always take their hat off for prayers and do various religious things. But their life has in it stealing, lying, and violence. You see, Potato believed what the Bible said, that what we do has to match up with what we say. We have to show integrity. And that what's the scripture that comes to mind when you see somebody who talks this way but does something different altogether? Here's your clue. What is it? Hypocrites and there's your clue. Boop, boop, boop. There's people honest me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And sadly, I've seen people just sort of descended from the kingitanga who are like that. The second story I'm going to tell you about is also uh, has, is a narawa here, but also closer. And that's the story that has Alan Reeve in it. This is Alan. And he said that he doesn't mind me telling his story. I said, would you like me to disguise it? No, he said, I don't care. You can just tell it. So here we go. When I first met Alan, he used to have what he called panic attacks. He used to panic about things. Now, a doctor gave it a name of nonspecific anxiety, which means just an anxiety that would come on at any time without a particular reason. This is a huge problem in New Zealand. It really is. Lots of people have this anxiety. But Alan's would be quite spectacular. <laughs> Woo! It was like an explosion. So I didn't want that to happen. So I, I, I like people to live a good life, just like Potato did. So I said, Alan, do you pray? And he says, oh, yes, I do. And, he, and I said, what do you do? He said, at night, before I go to bed, I just pray to God like this. Lord, I just love you so much. I'm just so glad you saved me and you look after me. And, I, and I'm just so glad you love me. And I thought, wow, that sounds great, Alan. So I knew Alan loved the Lord. You see, I knew he did. But I also knew that things weren't working out quite as they should. So I said, all right, Alan, do you remember this? I said, all right, Alan, from now on, I want you to pray in the morning. And you pray like this. You say, God. I'm going to give you all my cares because the Bible says, cast all your cares upon him for he cares for you. And so I said, Alan, when the morning comes, you say to God, today I will give you all my cares and I want you to take my cares and worries. All right, said Alan, I'll do that. So the next time I saw Alan, I said, how's it going? And he said, well, it's not that much different. So I listened to the story. I go, ah, Alan, I know what you're doing. In the morning, you give God all your cares, and then when something comes up, you take them all back again. And Alan said, oh, yes, that's what he did. So I said, now what you need to do is pray to God, give him the cares, and let him deal with it. Don't you worry. You've given it to him. All right, said Alan, and his life changed. Now, about a year ago, Alan and I were sitting down having a cup of tea and a natter, as we do, and he said, you know, I'm totally different to when you first met me. I said, yes, you are. It's good. He said, I used to panic. Yeah. A few weeks ago, something came up which really was serious. 
And it would have worried a lot of people. Alan, there'd been, a, there'd been a, something gone wrong with the banking, and Alan's rent hadn't been paid. He, he rents a little flat off the council, and Alan didn't realise that he was getting behind with his rent, but neither did the council. They were in dreamyland. And they wrote him a letter and said, oh, Alan, your rent isn't being paid. He, oh, dear, said Alan, and he put things in place so the rent was paid absolutely regularly, on the nail, every week, when it should be, or every fortnight. A few months later, Alan gets a letter. Oh, and by the way, you owe us $7,000 for the back rent. Is that a good reason to panic? But he didn't. He didn't. He rang me up, Jeremy, this is, we've got this problem. And so Alan and I went down to the council offices, and we got out of the car, and we prayed before we went in, giving our cares to God, asking him to do something wonderful. We actually had two meetings with the council, and we met the most beautiful, kind people, didn't we? They were just lovely. And you could just tell the grace of God was on those meetings. And uh, in the end, it turned out, uh, we, we came out from the second meeting, and Alan and I had a little time of thanking God for his wonderful help for us. But you know what? I said to Alan, the most wonderful thing that happened today isn't the, what happened in the council. It's what's happened in you. This whole saga went through without Alan getting in a flat. You see? There's change. God can do it. God can do a wonder if we take his word to heart. So, Alan, thank you for letting me tell your story. That's encouraging. Some people become a Christian, it doesn't make much difference. But Jesus and all the Bible writers and King Potato and me and everyone at this church want it to make a huge difference. We want you to have a good life, to be peaceful, contented, and fulfilled. Now, reason number two, I said there were two reasons. Reason number two is our witness. We're meant to be witnesses for Jesus Christ. We're meant to be models of how he wants us to live. We're meant to be, the Bible says, ambassadors for Christ. Or in the local terminology, represent. Okay, that's what we do. We represent Jesus. Now, we come back to Bill Gothard's two families there. And you remember the two families where one was, they were Christians, but everything was kind of chaotic. And the other one were not Christians, but everything was cool. What's going to make the non-Christian family go, I see something there. Like, I'd like to be like that family that's a shambles and always fighting and broke. No, I don't think that's going to happen, is it? We're actually meant to show people that it's good to be a Christian, that there's a good life there that God wants for us. Sometimes somebody says, What you do is so loud, I can't hear what you're saying. Have you heard that? I'll say it again. What you do is so loud, I can't hear what you're saying. Now, as we live God's way in our community, people see something they like. One of the CAP videos I show has a lady called Kath on it. And they say, Kath, how did you first get involved with CAP? And she said, well, I went to a birthday party that my friend put on for her five-year-old. And I said, How could you afford to have a birthday party? She said, I've got savings. You've got savings? How did that happen? I'm with Cap. And you know what Cap said? I need Cap too. So so Cap joined Cap. She got her debt problem cleared up. She got finances in order. She got savings because that's what we do in Cap. Cap already believed in God, but her life came into order. As she put things in, because God wants us to have financial security. So when people look at you, what do they see? Order and peace? Chaos chaos and conflict? 
Or do they see an honest person who says, well, I'm still a work in progress, but God is changing me. I'm getting there. I'm closer than I was last year. Do they see that? That's honest, isn't it? Do you remember what Steve told us last week? We make honest efforts, and we should, but it's actually God working in us by the Holy Spirit that brings change. Now, to finish up today, I'm going to be quite bold, and I'm going to end up, and I'm going to name some specific problems that Christians have, which can be addressed by doing what God says, by putting our beliefs into action. I'll name the problem, and you've got to tell me the answer, all right? But before we do, I want to tell you about two people who are in the room today. Person number one says, I know all this already. I've got this sorted. Don't worry, Jeremy, you're preaching to the converted because actually I live my life in a way that's consistent with what I say. To you, sir or madam, I'd say this. You live in a whole community of people whose lives are a shambles. So please listen carefully to what I say because you may need it to help them. They need help. Our job as Christians is to make disciples. The Bible doesn't actually say get decisions or make converts. It says make disciples. That takes time. It's a systematic thing, building people into becoming disciples of Jesus Christ. Anybody who stands up the front in this place is charged with this task, straight from the Bible, the, upbring, the upbuilding of the saints for the work of ministry. So my job is to equip you to go out there and do what God has called you to do. And what it is, is making disciples. The second person who's in the room today says, my life is crap. I'm just overwhelmed. I need a total change. I'm just going nowhere, banging me head on the wall. I need a total change of mind. Well, there's a word for that too. What's the word? Repentance means a total change of mind. And it's not a foreign concept to Christians. Don't be overwhelmed. Don't beat yourself up too much. If you need to change, don't worry. God's patient. He'll work with you at a speed you can handle. But don't give up on it. The Bible says how we can have our mind changed. It says, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. How can you renew your mind like this? How can a young person stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Because if we put God's word into our heart, it begins to stabilize us and tie us down and helps us to please him. I said to a local family that lives in chaos, I will take you to McDonald's if you can learn these 10 scriptures. Because honestly, if they put them in their heart, just put them in there, they'd begin to bear fruit and things would start to change. I've still got the money. They haven't gone. They didn't. They lost them. All righty. Let's have a look at some of the problems that people have. I'll tell you the problem. You tell me what the answer is. The first one is anxiety. What's the answer? Let's read it, huh? Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Plant that one in your heart. By the way, I've got copies of these, which I'm going to put on the, on the front here. 
If you want one, come and take it afterwards. There are 15 copies here and one on the photocopier, so if they run out, you can go and make another. All right, what about depression? Anxiety and depression are both huge in our society. Um, now, I could have picked one of 10 scriptures, couldn't I? But I picked this one. Look at this. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of, oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. The spirit of heaviness is the Bible words for depression. The spirit of heaviness. This is my problem. Depression is my biggest problem. I'm prone to it. So I need this message is for me, of course. I've never heard a preacher stood up and preached when they weren't preaching to themselves. All right, what does the Bible say about stealing? All right, if you're a thief, this is what it says. He who has been stealing must steal no longer. It's pretty straight up, isn't it? So if you say you love Jesus and you steal, well, that's no good. What does the Bible say about laziness? <laughs> a lot. A lot, actually. But instead of going to Proverbs today, he who's been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing good with his own hands. What does the Bible say about financial irresponsibility? People who are always broke because they don't manage things well. Do you know? This is what it says. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing good with his own hands that he may have something. God wants us to have something. He doesn't want us to have nothing. He wants us to have something. And what does the Bible say about stinginess and selfishness? This is what it says. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing good with his own hands, that he may have something to share with the one in need. I know some people who'd actually like to share with people in need, but they've got nothing. So we, we, if we work, put our lives into God's order, then we have something to share. There's a huge temptation, especially these days, to sexual immorality. What does the Bible say about that? Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. What does the Bible say about anger? You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourself of all such things as these, anger, rage, Malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Malice is nastiness, and slander is saying horrible things about other people. And what does the Bible say about lying? Do not lie to each other, since you've taken off your old self with its practices. Hiding these scriptures in our heart, so they're in there when we need to know them. Whoops, I remember what the Bible says now, sorry. Is, is a way that we can make sure that our Christian life matches what we say we believe. Well, today I've said that it's important to have integrity and to make sure that the way you live matches what you say you believe and what you actually do believe. Many people, that doesn't happen for them. I've said to you that hiding God's word in your heart is one of the most helpful things you can do to make sure that you've got integrity in your life, that it's consistent and works out the way it should. And I've also said to you that it's very important 
that we have a good life and a good witness. Those scriptures are over there. I made copies of them. You're welcome to come and grab one if you like and, and have a look at it and take it home. And that's about it. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you've got every, you've stated every intention that our lives are consistent, that we can find peace by doing what we say, by putting our beliefs into action. I thank you too that you've given us every help and encouragement, that the Bible promises that your word has a transforming power and can change us. And probably most people in this room can say it has, it's worked. I pray, Lord, that as we reach out into the community, that we'd be able to help disciple people, to show them that that way that you've chosen to have a consistent, peaceful and good life. And I pray, Lord, uh, acknowledging that for all the good theories that we've got, and even from reading the Bible, it's actually you who makes the change. I pray that we'd open ourselves to the work of your Holy Spirit and allow that change to come. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Huntley Baptist Church podcast. We hope that it has been an encouragement to you. Please feel free to contact us at huntleybaptist@extra.co.nz or visit us at huntleybaptist.com.